Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Grab your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2 today. So go ahead and grab those Bibles uh, or your devices and look it up. Second Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to continue our series. We're going to continue our series uh, through the book of 1 Peter. It's a conviction of our leadership and mine uh, particularly as well that we're going to study books of the Bible together. Uh, we can study topics all day long from time to time. Maybe the Lord would lead us in that way, but safer for me to stay inside of a book of the Bible than to teach my opinion using the Bible to make, uh, make my opinion sound more important than it is. So First uh, Peter uh, chapter two is where we're going to be today. Uh, last week, Daryl taught, Daryl did an amazing job last week teaching through First Peter. Daryl, you'll be happy to know 14 people thought you did a great job last week. So uh, I love, I love Daryl. Um, Daryl has been a pastor to me for the past two and a half, almost three years of my life. And there is no one who shepherds better in my mind than Daryl Sanders. So if you're looking for a shepherd, I'm gonna do the best that I can, but Daryl's your guy. Daryl, uh, he shepherds this church. He leads our staff, leads the elders, along with Brandon Well. And so I just, I can't thank him enough for what he's done and what he continues to do. But he's a gift from God to our church without a doubt. And so I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for the way that God wires us differently uh, to teach and communicate. And as I was laying out this series, I really wish I would have given Daryl this week because we're gonna touch on some stuff that I'd rather he say to you than me. I would just would rather that because I want you to like me. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, but uh, we're gonna study that today. Just these next few weeks, just so you know, you can decide whether or not you're gonna come or not. Um, there's a lot of toe stepping happening, I think, in the next few weeks. And so be prepared for that. Um, part of my job as a preacher is that I need to let God preach to me before I preach to you. And he's done that, uh, and it hurts. So uh, we're gonna move forward in that today. And so I just, what I wanna do this morning is I wanna read through the passage, then I wanna give us some ground rules. Um, we're gonna talk through some things you probably shouldn't, you're not supposed to talk about at church or at family functions. And so we're gonna talk about that uh, here today. So I wanna lay some ground rules out for us before we get into it. If you want more resources on First Peter, you can check out our website, SharonChurch.com. There's a link on that homepage where you can get some more resources to it. There's only so much that we can do, um, both in breadth of knowledge uh, and also just in time. So there's plenty of ways for you to study. If this is the only time in your life that you open the Bible, it's just Sundays at 10.30, 10 o'clock or whatever on Sunday mornings, I would encourage you to do more than that. You're missing out. And so there's ways for you to do that online. All right, so let's read this passage together. First Peter chapter two, verses 13 through 25. Then I wanna lay some ground rules out and then I'm gonna put some things in context. First Peter chapter two, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as living servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. That's not a Dan Quinn Falcons reference. That's an actual biblical reference. Uh, fear God, honor the emperor. 
Verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree of the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Amen. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So I don't know if you've picked up what Peter is saying here. Um, we're gonna have to talk politics a bit today. So I wanna lay out a few ground rules for us as we dig into it. Uh, first is this, I know right now we think that everything is political. And you're right, everything is political. Everything has always been political. Little League Baseball is political. Those of you who play Little League Baseball, you understand the politics behind rec baseball and rec football and rec cheerleading. You understand all of that. And it doesn't change when you get into middle school and high school sports and all that. Change. Yeah, everything is political. Everyone has an agenda. That shouldn't be, uh, that shouldn't be uh, news to us. Everyone has an, you have an agenda. I, as a parent, I have an agenda. You have, yes, we all have an agenda. So we're, that's, that's true. We can't avoid that. Everything is political. Everyone has an agenda. I'm gonna ask you to do this. First is to open your heart to the text. Open your heart to what God has to say to us today. We have all of our preconceived ideals and notions and ideas, and many of us have let those be known on social media, but some of us have kept those close to our chest, but we all have ideas. Let's open our hearts to things here today. So to do that, I want you to please try the best you can to listen to what is being said, not what you want to hear. Listen to what the word of God says, not what you want it to say. Listen to what it says, even if what you want to hear today is controversy to make you mad. There are some of us who do that, right? Aren't there? Some of us wanna hear things that make us feel good. Some of us wanna hear things that make us angry because we like to fight. Let's try not to. I, as a follower of God, and as a pastor, and as I study, I am not the expert on medicine. I am not the expert on vaccines. I am not the expert on politics. My calling as a pastor and a teacher of the word of God is through the Holy Spirit to be an expert on this. So I'm gonna do the best I can with this. I've heard a lot of uh, commercials and radio announcements telling you to come ask your pastor about things going on in the world. Should I wear a mask? Should I get a vaccine? Don't ask me. I don't know. Don't ask me. That's not my job. My job is to teach this, and I'm gonna teach this. Also, please don't try to figure out where I stand on social and political issues, because you will find yourself so confused <laughs> where I stand on things. Some of you are like, well, he's a Christian, so he, he must line up here. And some of you say, well, he wears skinny jeans, so he must line up here. 
Doesn't have to be either or. I can be both and. I can be both a Christian and wear jeans that fit me. I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> I'm just asking you that the, the riddle for today is not, hey, where does Jeremy, where does Daryl, where does the church stand? That's not what the, the riddle is. The riddle is where does God stand? That's the riddle today. Where does the Lord stand? So let's not try to figure that out uh, today. And then I'll say it again. Let the spirit of God speak through the word of God. We are a people, I think predominantly, who uh, love things to be black and white. We want right and we want wrong. And so we come to the word of God and we want things to be right and we want things to be wrong. And I will say this. There are plenty of close-handed black and white issues in the word of God. Jesus is the son of God born from a virgin, lived a sinless life, literally died on a cross for your sins and for mine, literally rose from the grave and ascended into heaven and has saved us from the penalty of death. That is black and white. We're not gonna discuss that. But outside of that, there are areas that have to be nuanced for us. The Bible will not tell you where to stand politically. As much as you want it to and have been maybe taught that it does, it doesn't because of all the nuance in the world, which is why we need the Spirit of God. You don't need a man telling you what to do. You need the Spirit of God massaging your heart in truth. I'm gonna show you throughout Scripture that even that, the right and wrong that we think is right and wrong, can get blurry and has to be nuanced. So there's a ton of nuance here. So as we study this word, please open your hearts to that. Now, what I thought I would do to make things more simple is to go to the book of Revelation to help us. So <laughs> Revelation, chapter 12, uh, Revelation chapter 12, we are introduced to the dragon. And the dragon, uh, John tells us, uh, is actually, uh, he calls him the ancient serpent, that old serpent, also known as the devil or Satan. It says this in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation is written in the same kind of area where 1 Peter is written. 1 Peter is written by Peter in, in Rome, and he's sending it to the, to the Christians who are in Rome. Uh, the leader of Rome, at this point probably Nero, has told everyone that Christians are to be hated. They burnt the city down, so persecution is making its way forward. It's about 65, 63 to 65 AD. In the early 90s AD, 93 to 95 AD, is where the book of Revelation was written by a guy named John, the Apostle John. Peter and John were friends back in the Gospels. Do you remember this? They, I mean, they... They were coworkers. They didn't seem like friends a lot, but they were friends. They loved each other. Uh, remember, Jesus restores Peter, and he says, there's coming a day where people are gonna stretch out your arms and take you where you do not want to go. This is to foretell that Peter would die a death of crucifixion. And then Peter, um, just like your children, says, yeah, yeah, but what about him? What, what's he gonna get? Speaking to John, and Jesus says, if I want him to live forever, what is that to you? So, Peter dies not too long after writing 1 and 2 Peter, sometime in the mid-60s AD, and John hasn't died yet, which leads me to think that Peter thinks that John's gonna live forever. John, 30 years later, would be uh, brutally murdered, but he's uh, in seclusion on the Isle of Patmos, and he has a vision, a revelation, not revelations, a, a, revelation, one revelation. He has a revelation where the Spirit of God gives him a, a vision and this is what he describes. In Revelation 12, he describes this Satan, the enemy, as a dragon. 
I'm gonna read a couple portions, it'll be on the screen from Revelation 13, because I wanna set in context why it matters what we're talking about today. This doesn't just matter today in America in 2021, this matters in the scope of eternity, what we're talking about today. So, it'll be on the screen, you can turn there if you want to, Revelation chapter 13. He's just given us the dragon, and now he says, John says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads, with 10 diadems, those are crowns, on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, but its feet were like a bear's and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave its power and his throne and great authority. The enemy, the devil, is not a creator, he's an imitator. He can't create, he can only imitate. What we're gonna be introduced to right now is the enemy's version of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The dragon is God the Father. Now, from the, the water comes a beast, and the dragon gives to one part of his Trinity his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. You know what that's called? That's called resurrection. And the whole earth marveled as they followed this beast. And they worshiped the dragon because the dragon, right, Satan, he had given his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? So because this is in a series on Revelation and we don't have three and a half years for me to talk about it, this is, this is speaking, it's going back to Daniel chapter seven. And Daniel, the prophet Daniel has a vision and describes a beast in a similar way, but he's referencing the beast as political power of the day. Could be Rome, could be Babylon, could be Assyria. This beast represents political power. This is what John sees in the Revelation. He sees this coming. So uh, the dragon, the, ser the serpent, Satan, the devil, part of his trinity is political power. Rome, remember Peter calls it Babylon because throughout the Bible and throughout history, there have been political empires who have been co-opted by the enemy. And John is saying, oh yeah, I've seen that in a vision. Well now, he's gonna give us the second part or the third part, I guess, of this trinity. If you go down to verse 11 of Revelation 13, then John says, I saw another beast rising out of the earth, one out of the sea, one out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast, political power in its presence, and it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, political power, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. Does that sound familiar to you? And by the signs, it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast. It deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Then verse 15, it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, a political empire so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause who, those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. The second beast is ungodly religious institution. 
Satan has a trinity. He is the father and he has political power and godless religious institution to complete his trinity. And when all three are working like our holy trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that's when he causes the most damage on the earth. John sees it in Revelation. The end game of the enemy is to get the state and the church in bed with each other. That's the end game. If he can get the state to say things like the church sounds, he's won everyone. If he can get the church to propagate and support political ideology, he has the church. Do you hear me? He has the church. And if you've been paying attention since the early 1980s, it sure feels like we're on our way, doesn't it? When pulpits are preaching the gospel of political ideology, the enemy has a foothold. So why do we talk politics? Because we're gonna punch the devil in his mouth, that's why. Why do we talk politics? Because I'm not about to watch my kids go down that road. I'm not about to let our church go up in flames because it matters. Why does Peter speak it? Because he's got people about to go through intense persecution and the temptation will be to align themselves with a political power that they might avoid persecution. And Peter is reminding them, no, no, no. You are not Democrat. You are not Republican. You're not independent. You are a son of God. That's who you are. And by that name, by that identity, then we endure and we persevere. So that being said, let's go back to 1 Peter. And I want to put in context of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 11. Peter says, beloved, loved ones, I urge you as sojourners, travelers, exiles, meaning aliens, those who do not belong. You're exiles. You don't belong to this world. We're in it. We're not of it. To abstain from the passions of the flesh. And what passions of the flesh? He told us in chapter 2, verse 1, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander because they wage war against your soul. Why does this matter? Because your soul is at stake and my soul is at stake. Why don't we speak malice and slander and hypocrisy? And why don't we envy? Because when we do, our souls die. That's why. There's a war for our souls. Then he says in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Some of your translations say the pagans honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter is saying, listen, but if, if you abstain from those things and you cling to your identity as a son or a daughter of the most high king, if this is who you are, people will take notice and their souls will be saved. The role of the church is not to save the culture. The role of the church is not to save the country. The role of the church is to save souls. And when we do that, when we, when we behave like Christians, people will see our good deeds and they'll glorify God. So then when he returns, they won't cower in fear. They'll run in love to him. Then verse 13 
So then, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme. Now, look, I want you to pay attention as we study through this. Be subject, this word means to be submissive or submit to, and it's willing. It's a willing submission. Subject yourself. It's not out of duty or obligation. It's willingly subject yourself to every human, uh, human institution, but why? For the Lord's sake. You're gonna underline, highlight, remember that. For the Lord's sake, we submit, subject ourselves to every human institution. Every leadership Everyone in authority, whether that's political, whether that's a teacher or a principal, whether that's a police officer, whether that is a sheriff or a deputy, whether that is a mom or a dad, whether that is a, a boss, or whether it's the person giving you a parking ticket on the McDonough Square because you didn't pay enough. We subject ourselves for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, we do it. So the call this morning is this. I want us to look behind the curtain of what's going on so we can actually see what it is that's going on. We don't subject ourselves, we don't submit ourselves to every human institution because of man, or because of fear of man, or because we like that man or don't like that man. We subject ourselves because we love the Lord, that's why. And for his sake and for his glory, we subject ourselves. Students, you have teachers you don't like? I don't care, subject yourself to their authority. You have police officers in the city or in the county that you know uh, aren't gonna treat you well, you subject yourself to their authority. You got a principal at your school that you're not so sure about, subject yourself, mom. PTO, subject yourself willingly for the sake of the Lord, not because you're afraid of them, not even because you love them, but because it's for the Lord's sake is why we do it. We have to look beyond what's seen. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. What makes you an exile is that you know there's more going on behind what's going on than what's actually going on. This world is not your home. The things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. They're fleeting. But the things that are unseen, they are eternal. And you want to know why we submit ourselves to human institution? Because they're God's people anyway. You know how I know that? Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. I don't know where you fall politically. I don't know what you think about President Biden or what you thought about President Trump or what you thought about President Obama or President Reagan or President Carter. I don't, I don't know, but here's what I know about them from Proverbs chapter 21. The Lord steers their heart. Daniel chapter two, verse 21 says that God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. I know you voted, I voted. But ultimately, you know who had authority in that? God did. Romans 13, verse one, Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that, that exist have been instituted by God. Who put the president in place? God did. Not your party, not the other party, not some scheme of something going on behind the scenes. God did. Does it make sense? No. But he did. Jesus is standing before Pilate, and Pilate is scared to death because he just heard that Jesus declared that he is Lord, that he is the Son of God. 
And Pilate says to Jesus, you know, you know what authority I have? I have the authority to have you killed. And Jesus, which if, he, if you're deciding whether or not you're gonna follow Jesus, you should follow him just for this line right here. John 19, 11, he says to Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had given to you, been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Why do we submit ourselves to human institution? Because God put them there. And who are we? Who are we to know the mind of God? Have we created Leviathan? As he says to Job, have, were you there when I put the stars in the sky? Then how dare you tell me what to do and who to make king and emperor and president? I'll do it how I want to do it. Why do we submit? Because God put them there. I'm gonna ruin many of your childhoods, but I wanna show you a picture of Sesame Street just so you can see, it wasn't what you thought it was. <laughs> right, because there's always something going on behind what we can see, amen? And it's not the conspiracy stuff, it's the fact that God's in charge, God's doing it. Now we've progressed a bit in Sesame Street and so nowadays it's not even the real Sesame Street. You can look at this next picture. It's not even a street. It's just a blue screen and guys with blue hats on. When we look at governing authorities, when we look at human institutions, when we look at teachers and principals and coaches, when we look at police officers and governors and mayors and politicians, when we look at them, I want us to see this. There's something going on behind it. And whatever authority they think they have, they don't have. Because it's God who has ultimate authority. So why do we submit? Because it's for the sake of the Lord. Because we see through that. We see behind the curtain. We see the wizard of us. And we see and we know what's happening behind it. Let's keep going. Be subject to the Lord, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor. Some of your translations say the king as supreme. Or as governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil. And praise those who do Good, just a real quick caveat for us to say, yeah, you know, but if, what, what if the king is bad? Their king was Nero. I don't wanna hear it. God doesn't wanna hear it from me because I've been complaining too. He doesn't wanna hear it. We subject ourselves to every human institution. And they've been sent by God. And here's how God sets up human authority and human government and authority for these reasons he lists here. To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, I know the question that all you rebels wanna ask is, what happens when they don't do good? What happens when they actually praise evil and they don't do good? Well, I'm glad you asked. We'll get to that here in, in just a bit. There are exceptions to the rule, and here's the rule. The rule is you subject yourself to every human institution. Verse 15, why? Because this is the will of God. This is the will of God. That by doing good, he says in verse 15, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. How do we silence foolish people? Well, not by yelling and arguing, not by posting on social media, not by memeing, not by guilting and name calling. We silence the ignorance. This word ignorance is willful ignorance. We silence the willful ignorance of people by doing good. And that's not an issue with grammar. He means doing good works. By doing good things, we silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, you and I don't get to decide who the foolish people are. 
And we certainly don't get to tell them that they are those people. We just do good. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, ignorance, you see, is a noisy thing. It's an, an empty drum makes a loud noise when it is beaten. And empty men, like empty vessels, often make the most sound. I'm gonna read that again. Empty men, like empty vessels, often make the most sound. How then are we to silence this noisy ignorance by argument? No, it's not amenable to argument. Ignorance is to be silenced by well-doing. Holy living is the best reply to infidel talking. How are we doing? Then verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants, some translations say slaves or bondservants of God. Live as people who are free. Now, in context, who is Peter saying are the free people? The Christians under persecution in Rome. I wouldn't call them free. So it can't be political liberty, can't be governmental liberty. He's calling them free. So let me just say this to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, your freedom is not found in the constitution or a country or an ideal. Your freedom is found in the finished work of Jesus Christ. If it's the Lord's will, the constitution gets burnt up and we are all no longer free people. As followers of Jesus, we are still free people. Our freedom is not determined by politics and ideals. Our freedom is determined by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You are more free in Christ than you will ever be in the Constitution. And I want my kids to grow up in a free United States of America. I want that. I want freedom for them. I want freedom of religion. I want freedom of speech. I want them to be free in so many different ways. But I know this. I'd rather they know they are free in Jesus. Because if God calls one of them to go to China and share the gospel, I want them to know they're just as free there as they were here. So yeah, I think we should fight for our freedoms without neglecting the fact that we're already free. So Peter tells the people to live as people who are free, but don't use your freedom as a cover up for evil. And if there was ever a better phrase to describe the state of the United States right now, it's that. Our freedom as a cover up for evil. The truth is though, some of us in the room today, we're not free. You're free constitutionally and you're free uh, to bear arms and you're free to speak and you're free to post and you're free to do all of those things but in your heart, you are not a free person. Creator God sent his son that he might make you free. Free from the penalty of sin and death, free from guilt and shame, free from the power of the enemy over your soul. He has come to set you free and I wanna tell you today, you can be free today you declare that Jesus is Lord. Then there are some of us in the room today who we've done that, we've run back to bondage of secret hidden sin and you're not free either. You've put yourself back in the chains of the enemy and you're not free either. And everything that you're feeling, your anxiety and your tension and the pressure you feel in your life is not because of the way the world is, it's because of the way your soul is. 
confess and repent that you might be saved and set free. We are a free people. We should live as free people. Then verse 17, and we'll read it. We'll come back to it at the end. Peter says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Okay, now he makes a shift uh, to become a little more specific about what this looks like. Servants, some would say slaves, this idea of, of a bond servant, someone who um, uh, is indentured because of their debt towards someone or they've come alongside to work for someone. Servants, slaves, think employees. Be subject to your masters. Be subject to your bosses. Be subject to your CEOs. With all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures while suffering unjustly. But what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? So hear me in this. It is not persecution if you money launder and get caught. You're a felon. You're not being persecuted. Any more than it's not persecution for you to be driving 95 miles an hour down 75. I don't know where you do that in Henry County. It's usually like 15 miles an hour on 75, but somewhere. No, you were speeding. You weren't pulled over because you had a, a, a fish on the back of your car. You were pulled over because you were going over the speed limit. In the very same way, he's saying, listen, to suffer for wrongdoing doesn't make you special. What the Lord is looking for is people who would even suffer unjustly. If when you do good and you suffer, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Then verse 21, for to this you have been called. To what have we been called? To unjust suffering we have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Neither did he post, neither did he meme. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, and that's the Father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were, like, you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Why do we suffer unjustly? Why do we subject ourselves to every human institution? Because Jesus did. And in Jesus' subjection, he brought about the freedom and the saving of many. Have you ever thought that your subjection to human institutions might likewise bring about the fruit of salvation? This is what Peter is saying. Okay, so, all right, great. On the ground, what does that look like? What do we do? Well, Peter already told us in verse 17, we honor everyone. That's what we do first. We honor everyone. To honor is to give value or worth, to ascribe value and worth. And notice he uses the word everyone because he means everyone. As followers of Jesus, we believe that we've all been created in the image of God. It's called the Imago Dei. Everyone has value. Everyone has worth. I don't care the color of your skin or where you've come from, your intellectual abilities, your physical abilities. I don't care about handicaps mentally or physically. Everyone has intrinsic God-given value, and we are to honor everyone. 
We are to honor the sinner and the saint. We are to honor the officer and the felon, the prisoner and the freedman. We are to honor everyone in church. If we want to see people come to know Jesus, we want to see souls saved, we begin here. We honor everyone. Everyone. We honor men. We honor women. We honor babies. We honor elementary school students. We honor honor middle school students, as hard as that is. And we do. And we honor high schoolers and we honor college students and we honor liberals and we honor conservatives and we honor Democrats and independents and Republicans. We honor everyone. We give value and worth to everyone. We honor those who've gotten the vaccine and those who haven't. We honor those who prefer to wear masks. We honor those who don't. We honor everyone. We honor uh, stores that tell us to wear masks and stores that tell us not to. We honor the speed limit most of the time, and we honor, we honor everyone. We honor. That's where we begin. This is why Peter said in chapter two, verse one, you gotta put away malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. That's not honoring. And in fact, it's killing your soul. The ways you talk about people when they're not around, the names you call people, Back to verse 17. So we honor everyone. Secondly, we love the brotherhood. The brotherhood that Peter is speaking of is the church. And this is what breaks my heart. We gotta love each other. The world's gonna fight and the world's gonna divide and tear itself apart. May it not be so among the church of God. Can't be. The enemy gets in and divides us. He's got us. The world's gonna fight and argue and complain and bicker and slander and speak malice. Not us, church. We love each other. This word love is the Greek word agape, which means unconditional, active love. Regardless, regardless of where they stand politically and how they feel about certain things in our society right now. Regardless, we love them. And we don't speak ill of them. We don't guilt them. We don't shame them. We love them. Love the brotherhood. In our room today, believe it or not, are people who voted Democrat and people who voted Republican. In our room today, just take a deep breath. There are people who did not vote Love them. Love them. In the room today are people who, had, who got vaccinated and some who have not. Love them. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. And he says, fear God in verse 17. He steps up his game here, Peter does, language-wise. Honor, ascribe worth, agape, love. But then he says, fear to have this respect for, this uh, respect that turns into worship. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I want you to notice something. You aren't called to fear everyone. You aren't called to fear the brotherhood. You are called to fear God. 
And why do we honor everyone? Because we fear God. Why do we love the brotherhood? Because we fear God. Why do we subject ourselves to every human institution? Because we fear God. This fear is what turns into reverence, which then turns into worship. We only worship God. We don't worship the brotherhood. We don't worship everyone. We just worship the Lord. And then finally, Peter says to honor the emperor. We don't honor the emperor because we fear the emperor. We don't honor the president because we fear the president. We don't honor the principal and the teacher and the coach because we fear them. We honor them because we fear God. Do you hear that? It's not because we're worshiping them. It's because we're worshiping God. So let me set your mind at ease, Christian. You can obey human institution without worshiping them. We must honor the emperor. So now there's two things that we have to talk through when it comes to honoring the emperor. First is this blind obedience. The Bible does not call for blind obedience. Please hear me in that. This is not a call to do whatever the emperor, whatever the president, whatever the principal or the coach says. This is not that call. It's not blind obedience because we don't worship a man. On the flip side, it's also not blind disobedience. We don't get to disobey just because we don't like someone. We don't get to disobey all of their laws because one of their laws is evil. I believe abortion is evil. I believe it's murder. My heart breaks for women who have had abortion, had to walk through that. I hate it for you. I hate the shame and guilt. I pray that God restores your heart and that you understand his grace and forgiveness. But just because I believe abortion is evil doesn't mean I'm allowed to go and break other laws. Just because you loved or despised a current or former president doesn't give you the right to throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's not honor. That's worship too. We give value and worth to the emperor and we do it in freedom but you can disobey with honor. You can write that down. You can disobey with honor. The book of Exodus, Pharaoh calls for all the firstborn Hebrew children to be murdered. And there's Hebrew midwives who say, no, sir. And they save the life of a boy named Moses. The Old Testament, we meet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are forced to bow and worship a false god. And they say, sorry, King Nebuchadnezzar, we cannot bow to this idol. And he says, well, then we'll throw you in the furnace. And they say, then so be it. They disobeyed, and then they subjected themselves to the laws of the land. Daniel is told he can no longer pray So what does Daniel do? He goes up to his room, opens the window, and now he prays three times a day. You can disobey with honor. Rahab has caught hiding spies and is asked to turn them over, and she says, I don't know where they are. They certainly aren't here. In the New Testament, she's written into the genealogy of Jesus. 
Peter and John are told they can no longer preach the gospel. And they say, we can't help but to preach of the things we've seen and we've heard. You can throw us in jail, we're gonna keep preaching. And the law of the land is you preach it, you get thrown in jail. And they subjected themselves to the human institution, they were thrown in jail. Paul jailed multiple times for preaching the gospel. Jesus stands against politics of his day and is murdered for it. We can do that too. Are there things where you feel like the government and institution and teachers and coaches are demanding evil of you? Then honorably disobey and take the punishment that comes with it. You have to make a distinction between this though. There, the government might allow evil, but that's different than demanding evil. A number of years ago, the government said you could no longer pray, no longer be led in prayer in schools by the authorities in the school. And as Christians, we've twisted that to say, well, no longer can you pray in school. That's a lie. You can pray in school, pray in school. Pray for lunch, pray for your teachers, pray for your classmates, you pray. You can pray in school, just can't have a teacher lead it. Finally, I would just say this. We honor authority, but we worship Jesus. Jesus says it this way in Mark chapter 12. They, they're asking, hey, do you pay taxes? Should you pay taxes? Man, I love Jesus. He says, bring me a, bring me a coin. And so they bring a coin to him and he says, all right, whose who's likeness and inscription is it? You tell me, who's, what does it say on this coin? They say, well, that's, that's Caesar. And Jesus said, okay. Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And I'll say the same thing to us, church. Render the things to the government that are the government's and to God the things that are God's. You know what's God's? Worship. You know what's the government's? Honor. We don't worship the government. We honor them and we worship the Lord. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And why? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Is there evil in some human institution? Oh yeah, there always has been. But we don't fight the way the world fights. We get on our knees and we beg the Lord to help we ask him to save and we ask him to heal and we ask him to intervene and we ask him to punish justly. That's what we ask for. And we don't name call and we don't criticize and we don't dishonor. Honor the emperor. Worship the Lord. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we wrap up? Again, I don't, I don't know where you land here today politically. I don't know where you land um, in your ideology as far as how schools should be run and how um, the county should be run and how your football team should be run. I don't know. But I know this from Scripture. We are to give to the world, give to Caesar, give to authority what is authorities. We are to honor those in authority or to ascribe worth and value to them because they've been created in the image of God. And the sitting president and the former president are still created in the image of God. They're humans with souls that need to be saved. 
and your son and daughter's principal and football coach and teachers and your ex-wife to honor everyone and love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So maybe today what you need as we close is not to keep running your mouth or running your fingers. Maybe what you need to do is come to this altar and just bow before the Lord and confess and repent evil and malice and hatred in your heart. Whether you've judged a particular group of people and repent that you might be made whole. Maybe what you need to do is you need to come forward and pray for our nation. I know we've talked about it. I know you've posted about it. I know you've um, written emails about it. But have you prayed? Have you done that? Have we prayed for that? Maybe we need to do that today. And if you're here today and you're not free, you're stuck in the bondage of your flesh, the bondage of, of sin that's leading you straight to hell, God has made a way for you to be free. You are no longer need to be shackled by your sin. You can be set free from it by believing that Jesus is Lord. Ascribe the worth and value, worship him alone that he is the son of God. He did die on the cross for your sins. He did pay for that. He did raise from the dead. He says the right hand of the father intervening, interceding on your behalf. You can, you can be saved. You can be free today. Some of us today, we need to be set free from secret hidden sin. And I want you to know you're not alone, but you can be set free from it. I'm gonna pray for us. Brandon's just gonna play um, for a bit. I'll dismiss us. But again, if you need to come and pray, you need to find some, find an elder, find a staff member, find your husband or wife. You just need to come pray. Maybe we do that today. Father, we are a people indebted to you for our freedom. God, would you forgive me for the times that I've used my freedom as an excuse for sin? I've used your name in vain. I've declared your name as a way that absolves me from some kind of uh, moral high ground. I've, 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 I've done that. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? God, through the good deeds of the church, through the worship of the church, may souls be saved. Help us, God. We are tempted to want a human. We want a man to save us. We want a man to make things right and no man can make things right. You have already made things right. May we run to you. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And may we honor those in authority. God, we pray for President Biden and Vice President Harris. We pray for them. God, we pray that you would save their souls. You're not willing that any should perish. So God, would you? We pray for our county officials, for our school board in the midst of trying to make awfully tough decisions. God, give them your wisdom and your discernment. Pray for the moms and dads in the room today, God, that you would in the same way, in this, in this day and age, God, give them divine authority, divine wisdom to know how to parent and love their children well. And may the Spirit move among us in such power that our city has changed and our, our county has changed, but more importantly, God, that you are glorified, that you are lifted high and exalted. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.